go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Sipes. I must be louder. And site expert, Stephen Kibitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. Okay, let's go. We are here for the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. It is our midweek edition. I'm Stephen Kavitza, and we are doing something a little different this time, doing the show live here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm joined by Andrew Seif. Andrew, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Perfect. We have figured out the studio interface of Blog Talk Radio. It only took us half a year to do it. I know. In February, we're like, oh, we're going to have some big-time guests, Sashi Brown. <laughs> but would you like to share where you're calling in from? Live from uh, the Hilton Garden Inn in Denver, Colorado, actually. So it's uh, a balmy, I think, 58 degrees, and it's about 930 in the morning. So just getting ready to start off the day before we go drink some craft brews. Oh, cool. I'm actually in Kent, Ohio, in my apartment that has bats. So <laughs> we are similar. But let's move on to the Browns. This Sunday, 0-4 Browns take on the 2-2 two two New York Jets. Do, are you predicting a win for the Browns? No, I'm not. I would love to because I would love nothing more than the Browns to get this, you know, monkey off their back because, we, as we saw last year, you know, the, the longer you go winless, the more hopeless your team gets, you know, there's one thing that we wanted to see this year, which was just growth in the team overall and give us, you know, something to look forward to for next year. And so far they're not doing anything to provide that, but maybe with miles Garrett coming back this week, we'll get a chance to see, you know, some, some semblance of hope or, you know, an actual draft pick that turns out to be pretty good. That's my view too. It's, you know, miles Garrett's coming back, but it's kind of this, wishful thinking of, well, you know, Josh McCown's not that good either, but I mean, he's led his team to two straight wins and the jets just wrote something on it. They're seventh this year in rushing yards. So it's not really just a McCown focused offense. No, he does his fair share, you know, trying to lose them the games as well by throwing interceptions. So it's not that he's, you know, lighting the world on fire, but they've got two wins when a lot of people thought they'd be 0 and 16. So you got to give them a little bit of credit. Josh McCown has two wins this year. He only had one in two years with the Browns as a starter. Yeah. And I, you know, the more I read Kaiser, Kaiser is very well prepared for his interviews. You know, he's very mature for, for being a 21 year old quarterback, but I do think having even a guy like Brock Osweiler, just some sort of veteran presence in the locker room would be something that he is missing out on, you know, just someone maybe to, just to bounce questions off of, or the fact that they are 0 and 4, you know, Josh McCown's been through that before. So how do you how do you get yourself up for up for a game each week when you're you continue to lose? You know, I think that's something that he's experiencing right now. And if we had maybe a veteran quarterback on the roster, could be something that you know helps his development as the season goes on. Maybe even someone like a Joe Hayden, but we won't go there too much, but that kind of brings me to the next topic. I really want to focus on because I mean, we could sit here and predict a game and we've seen how that goes this season. 
get a little too optimistic, but I want to talk about Sashi Brown's latest comments, um, speaking at practice with other reporters, just kind of saying, you know, we're, we're obviously not happy with losing, but this is all part of the plan. And I do agree with his viewpoint. This was a longer plan, three, four, five-year plan, but I mean, we've talked about it in weeks past. At what point do those words ring hollow? And at what point do you say, well, we know it's a plan, but if we're, you know, if we're losing double digit games a year, like how could we trust you? Yeah. And the more I've had some time to just be away from it and kind of think about it a little bit more from a broad perspective, it is tough when you strip the roster down like that to expect a team to come back and win, you know, in year two while only drafting, yeah, you've drafted Miles Garrett and you have a guy that you think could be the quarterback in, in Deshaun Kaiser. But I think a lot of what we're, we're looking at now is just kind of the growing pains that still need to happen because it is going to get worse before it gets better. And I think they are building the team the right way. It's just still a matter of the talent evaluation that I think has people frustrated, but a team in the second year like this, I, I can't we, – we are hard on them from time, time to time, but you just see cases across the NFL that, you know, the Rams overturned it right away, you know. But th- that team didn't have to tear it down to the studs as far as the Browns did. So while I give Sashi a little bit of credit because they are in this second year, I think there is a little bit more desired in terms of the players that they have brought into the roster that are not necessarily producing at this point. Yeah, I see it as kind of, it just depends on what type of fan you are. I think that depends on how you look at it. It depends if, you know, because ultimately we are all tied together with what Sashi Brown is doing. The success of the team relies upon his decisions. But it's easy to say, oh, you know, he stinks. We should just get rid of him. But if you have that viewpoint, I mean, it's what they've been doing for almost 20 years. But then there's the other viewpoint of kind of, what I have at times and what I mean, kind of what you just described of the, you know, we have to be patient, but that frustrates the other side because they're like, well, I've been a Browns fan and we're also younger too. So we have the benefit of, Oh, things can turn around. I like, I can't make these arguments with older Browns fans because they're like, no, it's not going to. And you say, Oh, that's pessimistic, but it's kind of, it's hard to blame them for that mindset i can see why people are saying this is just the same old you know talk and nothing's going to change yeah i think that was my sentiment last week when when we did the after the game reaction you know it's just so frustrating because we've we've never seen i mean we've seen two winning seasons since we've essentially been browns fans and the first one was like we thought but we weren't really yeah even then you know i think that was kind of right when i had started watching football so there's really just no like nothing to no baseline for us to even judge what a team like a competitive team is because we saw that 2007 season, but then they came in in 2008 and laid another egg. So it's like we look at all these teams in the NFL that have been able to build these and we try to emulate that, but we just can't seem to find players, you know, and I think having Sashi Brown around for a third and fourth year, I know I gave him a lot of crap last week, but I think you just have to at this point. Uh, it, or at least keeping Hugh Jackson, the coaching staff around, because I think that is part of the reason why they truly have never been able to turn it around. Yeah. I don't think they have to go full Blake Bortles and leave him out there until he literally crashes and burns. But 
I do think that you have to give this process at least three years. You can't just say yeah. two years. And that's what Jimmy Haslam's done, though. That's why everyone's kind of scared. It's been, uh, you know, one year, Chazinski out, or two years and out. And it's like, man, you, you're not going to get anything done that way. So that's kind of the hope that he will stick with this for at least three years. Yeah, and I would think if I were a betting man um, this offseason, I would go ahead and put money on the Browns going after some sim- – like I would say more uh, skill position-related players in free agency – and maybe even a little bit more veteran presence. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to go get like the Carlos Dansby, Dante Whitner veterans that are past their prime, but I, I would think they would go after, you know, being the youngest team in the league, I think they have to get some veteran players on that team that just know how to close out games. I think that's a huge, or at least start games for this team because their second quarters have been absolutely miserable. I think you bring the only bringing in more rookies doesn't necessarily help you. I think they have to balance it out next year with some veteran players. Once they've established who their building blocks are on both sides of the ball. To that point, Sashi Brown in his interviews did say, you know, ultimately we're going to be a team that focuses on building through the draft. So hopefully that means at least a few veterans. And like you said, it doesn't have to be, super old players who are way past their prime, but just someone who at least has like his beyond their rookie contract. Yeah, I think he's, he's right on. I mean, they definitely should build through the draft because we've seen time and time again, these teams go out and I mean, the Browns are a perfect example. You know, you go out and spend all this money in free agency and it could equate to nothing. And then you're stuck with all these bloated contracts. The good thing for the Browns is that they spent that money on offensive line, which is only going to get, it's only going to get better. You know, it's not something, until Joe Thomas retires, it's not something that's really going to be an issue um, in terms of having talent there. So as long as they stay healthy, that's that's where that money's tied up. It's when you make the decisions like Kenny Britt where that just calls into question your talent evaluation as a whole because he has done absolutely nothing this year when last year with the Rams he was at least a decent receiver. Yeah, there has to be – and some of that is luck, but, I mean – you sign a guy to a four-year deal with that $10.5 million signing bonus. You can't miss on those. You have to at least give those to players who are – I mean, Kenny Britt was decent, but it was on a bad like, team. Well, if a guy uh, like Le'Veon Bell hits free agency, which I doubt Pittsburgh would let him hit free agency. But, I mean, that's, I think, a perfect opportunity for the Browns to just throw money at him. That's I understand he's got off the field issues, but I, mean, I throw him all the what money. Way, what other way would you get people excited for a season than bringing in a running back that can handle a thirty to forty carry or t- like targets and running or rushes combined? You know this guy can handle a full load and would be an absolutely perfect complement to a rookie quarterback. Um, so I, that's something I'm keeping my eye on headed towards the off season. I just don't know free agency wise, what receivers we would even be able to look at that would make this, you know, a comp <laughs> something that a rookie quarterback would be able to utilize. Cause right no, now I agree. Just- kind of shifting back towards the game this Sunday on that topic. I mean, the Browns might have another <laughs> new wide receiver in the rotation. Um, they did sign Bryce Treggs off the Eagles practice squad. <laughs> And Sammy Coates is also expected to maybe play. Is there any hope that this current group will turn things around? Because to be fair, 
we're judging it off four games, which I mean should be enough to really get a firm grasp. But do you see any of the anyone in this group stepping up this Sunday now that Corey Coleman is out and Jordan Leslie is out? I, I mean, right now the answer is no because I just I haven't seen it yet. I saw it from Rashard Higgins in one game, but that was a lot of garbage time and. Yeah, he looked good, but then he came out and flopped again the next week. So I think with Bryce Treggs coming in, it's a, a guy that Hugh Jackson's had experience with in the past. They brought Rennell Hall back on the practice squad. I, I'm curious to see if he'll be active. But another guy that the offensive staff liked during the preseason that was eventually let go. So at least Sashi Brown is considering the, the opinions of the coaching staff. That being said, I think they've just I think DeValve and Njoku are the ones that are going to have to step up to take over some of the, the bulk of the wide receiver target or targets that the wide receivers are getting because they're the guys that are going to be able to get open. You know, Njoku's got the speed and athleticism to do it. I just think Kaiser's got to be looking for those guys, and they've got to run more plays utilizing those guys because the wide receivers just can't get it done. Yeah, it's going to be those two and Duke Johnson and maybe even Isaiah Crowell because I always laugh when I see a roster move and it's, you know, we're very excited about Bryce Treggs a player the Eagles, they wanted to pay him. They wanted to, I think, pay him more than what the Browns did, but keep him on the practice squad. He said, no, I want to play. I was like, bold strategy. You could have made the same amount of money and, you know, kept your health. But, I mean, these guys, that's what they love to do, and they want to play. But you see it, and it's like, oh, well, he's a, you know, small, shifty slot slot receiver. And it's, I mean, if he was on their practice squad, is he someone we should be getting excited about? Or is this just another situation where he comes in and pulls a Sammy Coates and doesn't really play? Or, I mean, obviously we have to wait to see, but it's tough to get excited. I mean, it's the same thing. It's a guy that, you know, he's not going to be your number one receiver. Any guy that they find at this point is not going to be a guy – that you can count on for eight catches, 80 yards and a touchdown, or like even something that Corey Coleman, like it kind of looks like when he's healthy, there's no guy that one team is going to have on their practice squad. Like if they, if he has potential to be a number one receiver right now, he's not going to be out there to get for the Browns for free. With that being said, if they can find ways to get him in space, which is something that the receivers have been unable to do also alongside with catching the ball, I don't know if it's a play calling thing, but Hugh Jackson just doesn't seem to be getting receivers open in space. We've seen it with tight ends. You know, DeValve has run those crossing routes. I think in that Baltimore game, they did have a lot of pers- uh, offensive pass interference. Was that Baltimore or was that Indy? They had all those pass interference. I'm sure, tr- honestly, oh, the ones called against the Browns? Yeah, they, uh, they all blend together at this point. But either way, I mean, they're just not. I believe running, it was Indy because Hugh know. Jackson was upset. Yeah. But you see with this uh, DeValve and, and Njoku that they run those crossing routes for those, you know, and it gets people open. And so I think there's just got to be some sort of route that you can utilize these guys in space because you're not, like you said, you're getting a small, speedy slot receiver that in two years might be a, a great complement to Deshaun Kaiser or whatever wide receivers come in here. But at this point, you just got to be able to coach the talent you have, and that's not sending them all on go routes down the field which is Sammy Coates' specialty. So maybe we'll see some of that this Sunday if his legs heal up and he can actually do something. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, especially with the, you just have to coach the talent you have. But, man, it's 
I think with each gotta, each week, you're going to hear Sashi Brown say, you know, this is our plan because Sashi Brown's not coaching the team. Ultimately, he can go to Jimmy Haslam and say, we're building this our way. If you want to get a new coach, that's fine. But Hugh Jackson is down there like, man, these guys just aren't that good. And I have to come out every week in the media and talk about why, you know, our defenders are running past the offense and missing tackles, why our receivers are dropping passes. It's just, it's got to weigh heavy. And I think if they lose this week, which is the final stretch of when I originally said they would be three and two, it's going to be losses might start piling up pretty fast with really no hope of a win. And I don't know how that's going to affect Hugh Jackson, especially after last season. You know, the more I look at it, I think Hugh Jackson is, and this is the first time I've ever called a Browns coach safe, but I think Hugh Jackson just has more credibility with building or coaching a team than Sashi Brown does running a front office. I mean, what does Paul DePodesta do? What does Andrew Barry do? I mean, these guys, yeah, Miles, they drafted Miles Garrett. Whoop-de-doo, everyone in their mother would have drafted Miles Garrett. You know, they traded out of 12 to, and let go of Deshaun Watson and Malik Hooker, who Malik Hooker has been balling out the first or the last three weeks, three picks in four games, you know. He's doing exactly what Javerell Peppers is doing. You know, Malik Hooker was that center fielder. <laughs> at Ohio State, and that's what they have Jabril Peppers doing. So it's a little bit puzzling as to why, yeah, you want a first-round pick, but why pass up on the talent that's there? Um, I just think there's a lot more question marks around Sashi Brown and his talent evaluation than there are with Hugh Jackson and his coaching ability because given the players that he's had, it's not surprising that he's 1-19. Yeah, it's completely understandable. It's weird that you can look at a coach for a team that's doing so bad and say, man, he is this is not his fault at all because he has made a few clock management problems or bad play calls at times, but he hasn't really done anything where he's warranted a reputation like an Andy Reid for being just miserable at managing the clock or other coaches who just make bonehead plays or even our favorite coach, Pat Shermer for all his wonderful mistakes. Hugh Jackson is just, I think the thing that we'll remember most about Hugh Jackson when we're older and reminiscing on this period of, horrible Browns football is just him on the sideline shaking his head like a disappointed oh, father because he knows he's like what like what can I do when our 32 million dollar man turns around falls on a route and then drops a pass and then has it go off his chest into the other like the other team's hands you know you can't write that you can't make so this stuff up for the Browns and it's been so frustrating <laughs> So frustrating to watch because they, they finally got into the red zone after being down 7 nothing, And it's like they, they build your hope up on these drives, and then it just gets taken away so quickly. And it's, it's just like, how can this continue to happen? You know, it's four weeks into the season, and we're seeing the same freaking game week in and week out with just these mental errors and these dumb penalties and inability to, to execute the basic parameters of your job. And – I, if you're Hugh Jackson, I mean, you can't – like, how are you going to coach a wide receiver to catch the ball more so than he already – like, he knows that's what he has to do. It's not – like, he's not – Kenny Britt's – well, maybe he might be, but Kenny Britt's not like, oh, shit, you know, I'm supposed to catch the ball? Like, he knows that's what his job is, and I think it's – part of it might be on Deshaun Kaiser for putting it in there too fast or in the wrong spot, but they just they, they just have no help, and Hugh Jackson has no help. And, you know, it's only going to get worse until they – find some receivers on the outside to take the pressure off of uh, take the pressure off Kaiser, I guess. 
Yeah, it's not like Kenny Britt like is dogging it or not trying. It's it's just that's the player he is. Okay. A lot of people will say like, oh, he's you know doing it on purpose or whatever. It's like, no, I mean he's not. He, does, he no one wants to go out there and drop passes and then have a ball tip up in the air and get speared on a free play. But but that's what separates good players from bad players. I mean, the bad players are I agree. the ones that can't execute that. And that's, it's a testament, again, to Sashi Brown's – we've talked about it before, that 2016 draft. That, that I think, was a front office draft more so than – that didn't have necessarily Hugh Jackson's influence versus this year. I think they took Hugh Jackson's influence quite a bit. And even looking past the top three picks in the first round and Deshaun Kaiser, like what have we really seen – from any of the picks, you know, Zane Gonzalez missed a field goal. Ogan Joby's barely on the field. I think Caleb Brantley had a sack yesterday, but it was almost like a broken play by the offensive line. You know, I'm just not seeing even supplementary talent from any of the guys that have been drafted in the last two years, to be honest. No, I agree. It's, we bring it up every week. It's the same old stuff, but moving on really quickly, just because I want to um, get to a few things before we are have to wrap it up here i want to move to some nfl picks because it is our midweek show um do you have your picks lock and underdog ready to go i do should i go first uh, yeah go ahead and start with yours i have to i'm pulling up my cbs app right now all right so yeah i have mine up i have a lot this week is the first week of games where there's like 10 toss-up games um, there's a yeah. matchup of two 0-4 teams, Chargers and Giants. Um, there's um, Derek Carr is out. There's a lot of games that are kind of up in the air. My lock is going to be the Steelers over the Jags. Steelers are at home. The Jags, even if they try to give you hope, they stink. Blake Bortles is awful. So I'm going to go with the Steelers yeah. as much as it pains me. And my upset, you're going to like this one, is Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears over the Vikings on Monday Night Football. The Bears are at home, but with the fact that Trubisky's starting, it kind of is a favorite game, or the Vikings come in as favorites. But, man, I think I think Mitch is going to uh, light it up, and Chicago's going to go crazy. You're going to see a lot of <laughs> number 10 jerseys, not only there, but in our hometown of Mentor, Ohio. There's going to be a lot of Bears backers. Yeah, and it's going to be frustrating to watch yet another quarterback light it up because – you know, Deshaun Watson's killing it. Jared Goff's killing it. Carson Wentz is killing it. You know, all these all the these Goff quarterbacks that the Browns are my not. And now all of a sudden the Browns are sitting here with, a, you know, all these stabs at a quarterback that they missed on, and we, we don't even think – we may not even have one uh, for our team. So, uh, I think I anyway, my him. lock – yeah, I think I may go the opposite, honestly, with my lock and say take Minnesota over the Bears – Ooh. Uh, I think the Bears, even with Mitchell Trubisky, I think they're just too devoid of talent on the offensive side of the ball. They do have weapons, but I believe when he was playing in the preseason, he had Cameron Meredith, and I forget who the other receiver there was, but he's also down with injury. Minnesota's pretty good against the run, and that's how that's what they're going to have to lean on with Mitchell back there. Because Mike Lennon hasn't necessarily done that bad of a job. You know, he had a couple drop passes. He would have won that game against Atlanta. But I think it is time to turn to Mitch, and he's going to have a good game, but I think it's just a little too much to uh, to handle with that Minnesota defense on Monday night. Yeah, he kind of got a bad rap. They should have won that first game, and then he had to go up on Thursday night, which half the time Thursday night's a total crapshoot game. 
you guys might have yeah. guys hurt, and the quarterback's not going to be able to be able to prepare as much. But what is your upset pick? I'm going to take Seattle on the road against uh, St. Louis or L.A. L.A. Rams. I, also I know I picked took that Seattle. The Interesting. Yeah, I, I I know I picked the Rams last week to upset Dallas, and that was right. And I'm I'm on the Sean McVay hype train. I just think that the Seattle defense is uh, pretty pretty good this year, and it'll be interesting to see how Jared Goff responds. You know, I I don't know if he's played the best defenses so far this year. I think Dallas has a pretty beat up secondary, and but Todd Gurley's running the ball well. So if, if Seattle's able to contain him, I think Russell Wilson's playing well enough for them to squeak out a victory. It's interesting because I think we're so like there's just this recency bias of oh the like we think of the Seahawks from the past and how good they've been and not the distant past like the past few years and it's oh well, the Rams can't beat them but if a, if the Rams do win this week then we'll probably start picking the Rams way more often because they'll prove they're the real deal and not just you know lucky or Flash. just a few good games and wrapping it yeah. up here no, I mean, do, or you can finish your thoughts sir I I mean the Rams. They're just that team where you're like, you're right on the fence. You're like, man, I could see them. Like, I can see the potential there, but I'm just not, you're not sold yet. You know, but the fact that they're three and one is, it's just a testament to what a coaching staff, you know, coaching around a quarterback can do because, or a front office going out and getting talent for, for their quarterback. They went out and got Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, they had Todd Gurley. I mean, you look at the Browns and you want to emulate the Oakland Raiders model, but I think we need to take a look at the the St. Louis Rams as something we need to do to supplement a rookie quarterback. The Los Angeles Rams. Oh, I keep you are saying that. I'm, I'm burning the heart of St. Louis fans. <laughs> but it's okay. I see oh, people boy. on ESPN still saying the San Diego Chargers. I'm like, ooh. The team without a home, basically, because everyone in their stadiums are way fans. Yeah, and I think that's a uh, it's a preemptive foreshadowing because they're gonna go they're gonna oh, end yeah. up back in San Diego. So, well, what's your? Uh, I'm curious to hear what your prediction for the Browns game is. I'm gonna go with Josh McCown of the Jets picking up a win. I'm gonna say it's close though. I'm gonna say 24-20. The Browns are in it at the end, but Jets are gonna run all over him. I think Miles Garrett will play well, but he still won't be this full level of explosiveness. Are you going to shift and say the Browns are winning with your prediction? No. You, I mean, I'm happy to Miles, watch Miles Garrett play. That's the only uh, – kind of the only reason why I'm going to tune in this week. I think still having Jamie Collins out, still out without Danny Shelton, still on the offensive side, no Corey Coleman. It's just a tough way – like you said, that you think the Jets are going to run all over them, and I have no, no rebuttal to say that they won't. You know, Jamie Collins is – a huge piece to be out on the defensive side. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, they've been getting blown out in these second quarters. They just don't have that, that athletic freak to do anything. Joe Schobert's largely, largely disappeared through the first four games. Um, I think it's going to be 16 to 10, 16, 13, you know, not a, not a high scoring game. Kind of boring to watch. I think the Brown the Browns are going to need to force turnovers from Josh McCown, and if they are going to win on Sunday, which I, I hope they do, um, I think they're they're going to need to force some turnovers from Josh McCown because that's the only way they're going to move the ball. I think, given the the lack of wide receivers, these anti Browns predictions eventually have to pay off with a big Browns win, or at least we hope. Well, because it's like I hate picking them to lose every week. Well, that's the thing. It's if you pick them to lose on here, 
I mean, if we get it right, we get it right. I mean, that that's good for our standings. But if they if they, they end up winning, you know, that's good too. <laughs> I'd rather take. Oh that yeah, it's be way better. That's not why I pick against the Browns. I think I just don't think they've shown me anything so far that gives me a reason why they should be favored in any game moving forward. Exactly. Until they pick up a win, but that is going to be it for us. Andrew has to go enjoy Colorado. Us here in Cleveland yep. have to enjoy the Indians game tonight. And the Indians also play Sunday night. Right so now. I got my I got my Lindor jersey on right now in Colorado. So I'm repping. Uh, go Tribe. Go Tribe. Exactly. And thank you for tuning in to our first live show. Hopefully it sounds just as good as the other ones. It was very fun. We're going to have some guests on soon. We figured it out. Uh, after six months, or even eight months, I think, but we'll just stick with six to make it sound a little shorter. <laughs> well, Be sure to yeah, subs- <laughs> subscribe on iTunes. Please leave us a positive review. If you have a negative review, just tweet at us. That's fine. <laughs> at Dog Pound Daily, at Andrew underscore Sipe, and at Stephen Kabitza. Those are all in the posts accompanying this podcast. And as always, thank you for listening.